digital transformation combines both modern technologies and organizational culture to change the way a business could deliver more value to its customers with new and innovative ways on how their products and services are fulfilled. Regardless of whether success has been achieved in the past, this transformation will lead companies to learn how they can adopt their business models to navigate the fast-moving and constantly changing digital and business landscapes. In this round of cocktails, our guest tells us how a business can successfully facilitate digital transformation through a convergence of business models and modern technologies. We also discuss how the concept can be misunderstood by most. We then talk about some transformation success stories and the challenges associated with change and go through some great practical advice for organizations on how to successfully drive their own digital transformation initiatives. Welcome to Coding Over Cocktails, a podcast by Toro Cloud. Here we talk about digital transformation, application integration, low-code application development, data management, and business process automation. Catch some expert insights as we sit down with industry leaders who share tips on how enterprises can take on the challenge of digital transformation. Take a seat, join us for a round. Here are your hosts, Kevin Montalbo and Toro Cloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Let's begin. Joining us from Sydney, Australia is TorCloud CEO and founder, David Brown. Good morning, David. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? I'm doing great. And our guest for this episode is a successful CIO who has led digital transformation, product development, innovation, agile management, and data science programs in multiple organizations. He has transformed underperforming businesses by delivering new digital products, investing in strategic technologies, enabling agile practices, outsourcing commodity services, and establishing performance metrics. He's also the author of the book, Driving Digital, The Leader's Guide to Business Transformation Through Technology. He's also an industry speaker on many business enabling topics, including innovation, enterprise agility, and big data analytics. He also writes a blog for social, agile, and transformation that covers topics on CIO technology transformation, agile execution, big data, innovation, and digital marketing. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us all the way from the USA is Mr. Isaac Sakolik. Hi, Isaac. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, and thanks for having me. Great to be here. It's our pleasure. Thanks for joining us, Isaac. So we're going to dive straight into uh, digital transformation. Uh, obviously, your book, Driving Digital, uh, covers this topic extensively. So, uh, look, many of our listeners will be familiar with this concept of digital transformation. as It's a topic we cover reasonably extensively on this podcast. But I still feel for many it is a bit misunderstood. In your book, Driving Digital, and in your blog, you've been saying for some time that digital transformation is not simply about migrating to the cloud or deploying CICD pipelines or leveraging big data. You've said that these major initiatives are now just meeting basic expectations. I think some people will be disappointed with that. <laughs> They're just meeting basic expectations. So, so if digital initiatives are not these alone, then what is expected by an organization's complete digital transformation? It's a great question, and uh, you know I don't want to turn people off and say that 
um, investing in technologies and automating in DevOps and going to the cloud um, and putting data technologies isn't part of digital transformations. It is, but I, I want to take everybody up a ladder a little bit and look what's happening at the business level because of all these digital technologies, because of the state of, you know, where customers are, are going in terms of what they can do, their choices in front of them, um, what companies are able to do with data and analytics. It's really taken every single business by storm and saying, the way you've been operating the last five years, the way you've been serving customers from an experience perspective, the way you've been using data or not using data, the types of operations and workflows that you've been doing, um, whether they've been semi-automated or using spreadsheets and emails in between them, you know, all that is going to get reinvented over the next five years. And guess what? It's probably gonna get reinvented again five years after that. It's just the nature of how fast technology is moving today. And so, you know, when we're talking about digital transformation, we're taking things that technology companies have been doing for a long period of time, and now saying that mainstream companies have to do these things to be competitive. And that's why digital transformation became such an important word roughly around the 2016, 2017, when it started peaking up. But when you really roll back, you know, I got my front seat to digital transformation all the way back in 2000, watching newspapers uh, and going from a print world where they were, you know, 85% of their revenue was coming from classified ads on, uh, on newspapers. And then seeing that business model erode significantly from 2001 to this day. Right, that's digital transformation. When you look at what's happening in banking today, where much of the customer interaction used to be in the branch, and then all of a sudden COVID hit and you can't go to your branch anymore. Those that's a digital transformation. When you look at IoT and the impact that's having on the industrial side, that you're putting measurement not only in the manufacturing process, but also into the actual product that you're building, that's digital transformation. So what that's doing is it's not just changing the way we're operating and saying that applications and data is so much more important. It's changing the way we're creating products and services, right? They're in, they're straddling the boundaries of both physical and digital worlds. We're enabling new ways of customers to interact with us. And that's changing the entire way we go to market, how we sell products, how we market them, how we service them, how we compete for new business. And so when you put all that together, technology, the way we're operating on the front office and the way we're operating on the back office, that's what transformation is all about. And so when you put that and you come back down into the technology layer, that means every company is trying to build up skills, process, platform around technologies. We're all trying to build applications out. We all are trying to build APIs out so that they interface with our applications well. We know we have to automate more what we're doing. We're trying to become smarter with data and analytics. And that is the underpinning of the execution of digital transformation strategies. How's that, David? Yeah, <laughs> that was good. So listen, it sounds to me that the focus then should be on the business model change. So focusing on the business model, the technology is the implementation, the tools for implementation. But a digital transformation is about how your business model is going to evolve, how you're going to be selling your products and services in the future. 
I think that's right, but I don't want to leave out technology-driven innovation out of the equation. You know, when you say it that way, David, sometimes it leads back to the separation between business and IT, where business said, oh, this is the direction we need to take the business, and IT was asked to follow and execute around it. So much of what business can do today comes from the innovation and the experimentation that's happening inside IT around platforms, around POCs that we do, around you know new ways of doing experiments and, ex- and experiences, and that's why things like DevOps and cloud becomes so important is because we want to do lots of experiments. We want to do A-B tests. We want to do tests around our data and see if our our hypotheses are right. So it really is both a top-down strategy that we're trying to implement, but also a lot of bottom-up feedback that says how we should evolve that strategy based on what we're learning from customers. Yeah, right. Could you have any, uh, you've, you've implemented digital transformation strategies in a number of organizations. Do you have any examples of some success stories? Yeah, I'm going to share a couple. Um, one company I really enjoyed working with over the last few years is a nonprofit here in the United States called Charity Navigator. You know, I like to describe them as the search engine for charities, you know, and where they started, where their original roots were as an organization was a, a watchdog. They would actually go and look at the tax forms of charities, which here in the United States are public information, and they would find anomalies in terms of their spending, how they were managing their finances, and how they were managing their governance. That evolved to a rating system around it. When I joined them a few years ago, they had largely a manual process around their ratings. They were rating roughly 10,000 charities at the time. And their goal was to do two things, evolve their ratings so that they could look at greater dimensions beyond just efficiencies and finance and governance. They wanted to look at how a charity was actually impacting their constituents. And then second thing is they need they knew to expand the amount of donors using their website to find reputable charities. They had to rate a lot more than 10,000 charities. And if you look at what they're doing today, there are 160,000 charities that they're rating just a couple of years later. Um, they have a largely automated process to be able to do this. They're, they're rating on impact dimensions and other dimensions that they've added to their portfolio. And they're still operating as a very lean team based on the platforms and the processes that they put in place. A great story um, that Star CIO was able to partner with them and actually implement this. And then going back to my CIO days, I was a CIO at a company called McGraw-Hill Construction. Um, today, that company has now uh, been separated from McGraw-Hill. It's called Dodge Data and Analytics. It's a construction data company. And their roots were in publishing construction information so that commercial general contractors could go bid on jobs. So essentially a database of construction jobs. Over a two-year period, we invested in their platforms because we knew we had different user personas that we were selling to. Some were small contractors, some were very large contractors. We knew we had those working in general contracting, others working in building product manufacturing. And we took one monolithic product set, and we ended up building five products out of really a data, a NoSQL database, a data-driven process, um, three analytics process using data visualization technologies. And that led to to McGraw-Hill being able to successfully market and sell that company, uh, which is still growing today. So two examples there. When I look at the industry, one of my favorite examples to talk about 
around transformations, really Microsoft. If you looked at where Microsoft was generating its revenue last year, it 10 years ago, it was Windows and Office, and it was CDs, and it was licensing. And today, they're the number two competitor with Azure uh, in terms of cloud marketplaces. We're buying Office 365. And you think about the internal ch- transitions that, that had to happen to make that successful, and the numbers of companies and technologies that in technology that have not been successful transforming their business model from Kodak as an example. Um, Microsoft is really a very interesting story, and I, I really encourage everybody go read Satya's book around it. It really talks about the internal struggles at Microsoft to change your business model. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, when he came on board, he, he declared that was his, you know, he's going to pivot the company straight away, right? It was his number yep. one. Yeah. Uh, two interesting examples there. So the charity in McGraw-Hill. Uh, so the first example was really about enriching the data and automation. You said they had a small team, so they probably wanted automation in order to go from a few thousand or 10,000 charities to 160,000. So, you know, that had to be driven through automation. And right. they introduced a number of other metrics to their data. So it was it's enriching the data. The second example was about uh, in the construction company about analyzing the data they already had and introducing new digital products out of the data they already had. That's largely correct. Yes, very yeah. tough. well, very well done. So, I mean, but that's two good examples of, of digital transformation, right? And both related to data that either, you know, taking data, enriching it or automating it uh, to the production of that data. Or the second one is, is obviously creating new digital products and services out of the, out of the data and or processes that a company already has. So, okay, there's a couple of really good success stories. How about some failures? Uh, we don't need to mention names, uh, but uh, you know, there's some projects that you can recall failing, and perhaps more importantly, some of the reasons that they fail. Yeah, I, I, I got to tell you, every transformation that I've been a part of has had speed bumps, derailments. Um, I have you know huge scars on my back from trying to uh, get organizations to think aligned and transform. So you know it's not as black and white as success and failure. Even you know within McGraw Hill and Charity Navigator, certainly a lot of issues that we had to contend with to make those transformations hit success points in their journey. And that's really what we're talking about is hitting success points in a journey. Um, I do talk a lot about this um, in chapter seven of this book, and my next book is going to have even more examples of things that organizations really have to do when they think about transforming in order to maximize their chances of of success. And I'm just going to label a a few things here. The first thing is just getting to the starting gun, right? Just recognizing that what you're doing today and how you're operating isn't going to be sufficient for you to stay in business five years from now. You'd be surprised how many businesses are really reluctant to get to that starting gate. In fact, there's a, a, a great comic going around that's saying, you know, when did your digital transformation start? Well, you know, COVID started it. Well, that to me 
may have digit started digitization of your business, but it didn't necessarily change your digital models. And when you look at what's going to happen over the next two years, you know, our buying habits have changed. Um, our relationship with our um, customers have changed. And there's going to be a lot more of transformation disruption happening because of that. So first is failure to start. Okay. Second thing is, you know, the leadership of an organization has to set the ground rules and the ownership the governance model for a transformation to happen uh, successfully. So if you have too many cooks in the kitchen, if you don't have your budget set right, if you don't have an aligned set of goals and objectives at the top level, it's really hard to transform. You know, I think of the many times I had to go back to a CEO and say to them, look, um, we need to change something that we're doing in sales, or we need to change the, our way of doing accounting around a function, or we have to change our budget mindset, because otherwise, I'm never going to be successful uh, instrumenting what we're doing. That requires a cohesion at the executive level, that recognizing that you have to change what you're doing, and it needs some leeway and some mindset shifting at the top level to make that happen. Sometimes you call that changing the incentives. You think about I'll share one example at Business Week magazine. Uh, we used to sell $100,000 print ads, and we went back to our sales group and said, you have to start selling $10,000, $5,000 display ads with as much veracity and, 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 and controls around them because we need digital dollars coming in as much as we do print dollars. Very hard for a sales group to recognize that when they're not, just not going to get the same commission. So we have to change our commission structures. Um, I have a great post and an, a video around this, around the number one reasons digital transformations fail. And I'll, I'll share the answer here, uh, the spoiler alert. It's really because to be successful, it is a bottoms up process change. You know, And you could see this when organizations come up with the mega strategy and they put their CIO or they put their CDO in charge of it. They come out with the nice deck and says, here's everything we're gonna do in the next five years. We're gonna be this great business. We're gonna go compete with this one in that one, and everybody goes back to their day job, right? Everybody's going back to what they were doing before. And so, so much of what needs to happen, we call it change management, what I call it transformation management. It's really starting with a group of people who are going to be the instrumenters of that transformation. And that needs to grow over time to get more people in the organization involved in part of the process and having a role and understanding what their new job and responsibilities are gonna be as the company is transforming. Um, so that's what bottoms up transformation is all about. And most of, when you read 40, 50, 60% of transformations are failing, it's largely because they don't realize the people aspect of that transformation. Interesting. This bottom-up uh, uh, approach is interesting because we talk a lot about, uh, first of all, driving cultural change, which is a, a top-down approach. So uh, I'm guessing that things like a, a vision statement for digital transformation is still important. Yeah, you do a good job reading my blog. I talk a lot about <laughs> that. Um, you know, look, I put out the vision statement um, Someone, quite frankly, reactionary. And I was seeing two things happen when I walked into organizations. First is there were some leaders coming in and saying, you know, tell me what the ROI is going to be around something like this, or let's talk about the KPIs that we're going to change, or let's get some really structured goals around this transformation program. And I'm like, 
we haven't even started like working together yet. We don't know the answers to that. We need to start being able to experiment, but we need a, a way of expressing what is it that we're after. So I can't tell you the goals yet. I can't tell you the KPIs. I don't know what the ROI is going to be. I can't give you a traditional PL business case, but I can start putting a group together and start articulating what this thing is going to look like. And one of the things I like doing with groups is let's do a headline test. What does the newspaper article read? What does the headline read in three years when we're successful? And how do we craft that message? So first is, you know, the too much detail around trying to craft what the strategy looks like. The other problem I see, and quite frankly, I see this a lot in technology organizations, is when there's a bit with it, when there isn't a lack of, when there's a lack of vision statement specifically articulated up front. You get a lot of people working very hard, every sprint, every release, doing the next thing that's on their list, and they sort of get lost, lose sight of the problem statement. And so I come in and say, okay, you're doing this work on master data management, or you're doing this work on improving the experience around this application, tell me what problem you're trying to solve and who's the customer and what's the value you're trying to solve for them. And quite frankly, not enough people in the organization know it. The product manager might know it, the product owner, and I'm using agile terms here, they might know it, but I go talk to the developer. I go talk to a tester. There's somebody in operations who every two weeks is responding to an incident. I ask them and they have no clue. And it's not their fault. I mean, communications is really hard. And so the vision statement is really a about taking one piece of paper that everybody can see that understands what who the customer is on one side and what the strategy is on the other side and what's the time frame for that vision. And I have a vision statement that does that. Um, if you are interested in seeing it, you can go to the blog post around it at starcio.com slash vision dash statement. And you can get to the blog post that I talk about that one. Perfect. Excellent. At, at this um Vision statement is obviously important, but you talk about this, the also equally important is this bottom-up approach, that is the engagement from those people which are going to actually be implementing the transformation. And you also mentioned the importance of experimentation. So the experimentation to test and pilot new projects and see if they work and, and to, to, to develop the uh, digital transformation strategy and presumably learn from mistakes and, and get started. That you've also talked about in your blog, technical debt, technical debt that can be introduced by these pilot projects, which if they're uh, done around shallow goals and they're not being driven by a clear vision from the top down, that there's this danger that these projects, this experimentation and pilot projects could be just introducing more technical debt into the organisation, which they're going to have to deal with one day. Can, mm -hmm. can you run us through that uh, a bit in, in more detail? Yeah, I mean, you're touching on two topics there that I do think intersect. So I'm going to talk about um, innovation and POC and pilots first, and then we'll get to technical debt. Mm. I think, um, you know, on that side of it, there are going to be times when you are going to do some innovation, some R&D for R&D's sake right? You're going to go exploring a set of platforms because you have no idea whether or not that particular platform has any business value. 
And you should do those things. You know, if you're investing in machine learning and you don't know what model ops is and you want to go do a POC with a company or with a piece of technology that allows you to do model ops, go do that. If you want to go test a low code platform, go test a low code platform, right? So these are things that are truly important. I think that experimentation for technology's sake needs to go into the governance model of any agile team that says, you know, over a period of time, whether it's a release, a quarter, however you want to measure a duration, there needs to be some time where you can actually do experimentation for experimentation's sake. The question is, when do you start rolling these things up? When do you they start saying, okay, we've when does this learning exercise really end? And I, I actually talk a little bit about that in the book on, on chapter six, uh, when you're actually doing that level of planning and you don't really know your, your sort of learning your problem statement while you're experimenting with the solution at the same time, you start, you need to put it together some questions. You go through that POC, you go through a spike, you get some answers and you go back to your sprint and you say, do I want to go do another sprint exercise around this particular problem? Because I think it's worthy of investing in it, or maybe I've hit a dead end. This is not um, an answer I want to get to. I want to go try something else. So I think, you know, when you put in, I got to do some experimentation, I got to do some innovation, it's got to help me answer some questions. I'm doing it very transparent in my agile process. It's not some skunk work. It's not something that's running for three months without an end to it. Um, That's very healthy innovation from my perspective, because everybody's aware of where you're starting from, and you're trying to get to problem solution at the same time. Now, where that leads into technical debt, I mean, let's talk about some of the reasons organizations end up with more technical debt than they should. And actually, I have different answers for than some people. Number one, uh, I think that if when you look at investing in technology and you look at why you're putting a developer to solve a problem or why you're putting an engineer to solve a problem, and I could draw a straight line in, in, from that problem into a couple of categories. One of those categories might be help the business move something forward. I'm doing something for a customer. I'm doing something for an end user. I can see the business impact from what I'm doing. And sometimes I'm doing something to solve a technology problem. Okay. When I see an average company, a non-technology company investing code to solve a technology problem, I'm going to take a step back and say, why are we building this? There's probably somebody who has solved this before in a platform in a library and get somewhere with a methodology that I can go borrow and leverage in my environment. And so when companies decide, I got to go build this myself, I got to go build a custom CMS today, as an example, because I think what we're doing is so unique that I'm going to go do this. Um, Those are the kinds of things that lead to technical debt, because now if it makes it into production, I have to support it. Right. And support it means deal with all the things that somebody who's doing this professionally is probably going to build into their environment because they have multiple customers using it. So that's one thing that leads to technical debt. Let me tie it into POCs for you as well. Uh, Second thing happens is when you build something without defining the constraints of what you built. Right. So I built a POC. The customer loves it. Let's get it out into production tomorrow. Well, that might be okay. 
I might want it out in production, but I need to put a disclaimer. Hey, this thing was designed for a hundred users. This thing was designed for a database that shouldn't grow more than 10 gigabytes in database. And I'm going to put that directly in my vision statement before I even start coding. This is the box I'm going to live in that I'm building toward that we're all aligned to, because if we start growing outside of that box, I need to go back and reinvest in it. Okay, so that's another reason tech debt. The third thing I see happening is, look, there's just organizations that think that agile and development and engineering is always about adding new capabilities, not necessarily maintaining them enough. Um, I have a blog post out there about how to get product owners to to sign up and prioritize technical debt. And I have a very simple formula for this. 30% of your backlog, whether it's measured at a release level or a quarterly level, you get to decide. But 30% should really be addressed to used to address technical debt. How do I come up with 30%? Mm-hmm. I go back to the old days of software licensing. I pay 20% to my software vendor for ongoing maintenance. Most organizations are not software vendors. They're not as efficient as software vendors. So I ask for 30%. And it's just that simple. (laughs) And I'll be lucky. And I'll get lucky if I get 15. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, You've previously written about killing silos and them being crucial to driving digital transformation, killing silos within an organization. So what does it mean by operating in silos within an organization? Yeah, I'll share you two examples that I see very often. Uh, Example number one is um, failure of an organization to set reasonable priorities that are aligned to a reasonable set of objectives. So when I come into a company and there's 300 people in IT and they have 50 priorities, I'm like, really? (laughs) Is that going to work? (laughs) Okay, now let's say they whittled it down to 10. Sounds reasonable, right? I have 10 priorities. I'm gonna have 10, you know, 10, you know, teams of 30 people. Mm. Well, I just, I call that 10 silos. Okay, until I understand how they are all aligned. So I always tell organizations the same thing that we expect of our teams. They go to a backlog, they have a number one priority, they have a number two priority, they have a number three priority, and then they cut off the list and say, I commit, and that's as far as I can do this sprint. I do the same thing with executives, right? Let's figure out what the number one priority is, and let's resource it to make sure that we're 100% successful before we get into the next one. Okay. And before you know it, you're going to run out of steam when you do it that methodology, but you're also going to drive more success around it. The other way I see silos is, you know, when I talk about, for example, data technologies or agile or even DevOps, you know, early stages when you walked into an organization and you dropped those words, people were learning what they meant. Okay, and I remember doing Agile 15 years ago and explaining stand-ups and why a retrospective and why two-week sprints were were advantageous. Most people were learning that from the ground up and starting to instrument it. When you walk in today, people come in and some have done safe and some have done less and some have done DAD. We talk about data technologies, you know, some are strong proponents, everything should be in SQL. Some have done, had successful doing no SQL. So everybody comes together and they have their own digital lens in terms of how to operate. 
And so that creates its own set of silos. And a lot of what we do at Star CIO is really bring people together and say, all right, we know you've had success with A, B, and C in your past. We know you have an understanding of a methodology or a technology. What makes sense for this organization? And so we spend a lot of time trying to get out of silo thinking around how to operate and saying, let's get to one set of operating models for a set of use cases. And that's really about killing silos. We, we're, currently <laughs> living, we're currently living through this uh, revolution, this digital revolution at the moment. And, and people like yourself are, are writing about it and giving people uh, practical roadmaps to work their way through it. I want you to put on your futurist hat that now, though, because presumably, like the Industrial Revolution, most organisations at some point in time will have undergone a process of digital transformation. They'll become agile organisations. They'll have innovated their business process and their business model. They'll be delivering value to customers through digital products and services at speed. So how long do you think this process is going to take, this digital revolution process is going to take, and where would it end up? Where's it going to end? Well, well, let's leave the word digital transformation just for a second and maybe answer, talk about, you know, how much evolution our different companies are going to have to have because of the nature of technology, because of the nature of data um, and and, and other factors as well. Um, And so I think about if you roll back the past, you know, were we done investing in technology after the PC revolution or after the internet revolution or after the mobile revolution? And now maybe you want to call it the cloud or the microservices or the low code or, you know, some revolution of technology that we're in today. And then, you know, maybe in 20 years, we're going to be talking about um, uh, generalized, generalized AI or conversive AI. So, you know, we're still in an evolution where our business models are going to continue to change because our technology and our ability to work with larger data sets, our ability to connect the physical and digital worlds is still evolving. And if you want to ask me where this is going, you know, how far can I stretch my imagination? We still have huge problems around our environment. We still have a huge problem around a pandemic right now that could repeat itself in another decade with a different issue. So we still have lots of runway of major issues that we do not have technology solutions for. We have a couple people out there that are now pushing our boundaries to get to Mars. And that, you know, they're going to stretch that limit of human capability. And then we're going to be starting to evolve our ability to run our businesses so that, you know, maybe in 100 years we're running global technologies or, or planetary technologies. And you ask me, where's our re- imagination really go with this? Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think Star Trek. I do. I I think Star Trek. I mean, we had printers, we have 3D printers. We're now beyond burger, right? Where does this go next? I don't know. Yeah. You know, I I think we're going to be evolving for, for a long time. I don't think Star Trek Discovery. I've just finished Star Trek Discovery. What an awesome series. And the technology they showcase in that is awesome as well. Um, That's a great analogy. Uh, Isaac, I was reading your reviews for digital tra- uh, driving digital in Amazon, and uh, there was this recurring theme is that you cut through the BS straight away in your book and get to practical execution strategies. 
I think that's very clear from today's podcast is there's some really practical advice there. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's a great conversation. Good, great questions. Love having you. And, and, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And where can, where can our uh, listeners uh, follow you and learn more about what it is you do? You know, uh, easy ways, um, you know, find me on Twitter. If you ask me a, a question on Twitter, I always answer it. It's N-Y-I-K, N-Y-I-K-E on Twitter. Um, you can go to my blog. I have om- over 500 posts on my blog um, covering 15 years of digital transformation, agile, DevOps. That's blogs.starcio.com. And then look for my YouTube channel. I put out a YouTube video every two weeks. It's called Five Minutes with NY Ike. And it's usually answering a question like, you know, what's a good KPI for agile? Or what should a tech lead do in agile? And uh, I'm always answering questions around that. So those are just three of the avenues you can find me. Good stuff. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of Coding Over Cocktails. To our listeners, what did you think of this episode? Let us know in the comment section from the podcast platform you're listening to. Also, please visit our website at www.torocloud.com for a transcript of this episode, as well as our blogs and our products. We're also on social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to us there because we listen. Just look for Toro Cloud. On behalf of the team here at Toro Cloud, thank you very much for listening to us today. This has been Kevin Montalbo for Coding Over Cocktails. Cheers!